Hello and welcome to Loving a Garden with me, Rod Whiting, and our gardening guru, John Sterland, in association with our sponsors, Fitzgerald Lane Decorators. So this week we're discussing lawns. We spend so much time on planting and plant maintenance, but a poorly maintained lawn can really let the side down. So I guess this week knows a thing or two about the raw material for a great lawn. Guy Jenkins is Consumer Manager with Johnson's Lawn Seeds and DLF Seeds and Science. And the first thing to say is there's much more to lawn seed than you might think. We actually have a sort of league table of grasses. Um, so rather than having some, you know, dreadful snake oil salesman like myself or something coming along and saying, oh, yes, sir, I've got the best one ever. Um, you can actually verify what people tell you by looking at these tables to, to see whether or not uh, they're telling you the truth. The grasses can be rated for wear tolerance, for the colour, disease resistance, fineness of leaf, shoot density, all sorts of things. So if you're looking at um, a football pitch, you want something that's very wear tolerant. If you're looking at a golf green, you want something that's fine and dense and can put up with close mowing. And all these characteristics are, are measured and graded. So the competition for us is to try and keep our grasses at the top of the table. And what actually happens is that what might be a if you like a Formula One grass mm. today, a few years down the line might actually end up in a lawn mixture um, because it's been superseded at the very top end. So this, the everyday lawn owner will actually benefit from this breeding program. There's other reasons they'll benefit, but you know the, the very best grasses, some of them will actually filter through to to lawn mixtures. Um, so it, it, it's it's a very useful thing to have. Yeah. Well, for people who perhaps don't understand the, the the massive amount of research and development that goes on. I mean, th there are so many different varieties of, of grass mm. seed. For people who perhaps are not as familiar with the science behind these, um, can you just give us a, a very rough guide to, as yes. amateur gardeners, what we should yes. be looking for? Well, what, okay, so just for a moment, I think I ought to tell you a little bit where the grass comes from, if you like, yes. and, what, and what you should look for, because we have these breeding programs that that um, if I started today with a you know gene pool of, uh, of grasses, it's 15, 16, 17 years before you have a, a marketable variety. And that's because it takes 11 or 12 years mm -hmm. to breed in the characteristics you want. And then you've got some regulations that you have to go through. You have to make sure it's uh, distinct, uniform, um, and not basically someone else's grass that you just copied. So our breeders are looking for particular characteristics. So uh, for a lawn, you want something that is uh, disease-resistant, quite slow growing and depending on what lawn you're going to use if you've got a lawn that le say needs um to tolerate wear uh, mm. dogs kids football you know just walking about in it then you should look for a lawn that's got a high proportion of perennial ryegrass in now perennial ryegrass for a lot of gardeners uh, seems quite sinful you know so you should avoid it you shouldn't go near it and all the rest of it not true some perennial ryegrasses uh you shouldn't go near. It's difficult to tell which ones, of course, um, <laughs> because some sometimes in the marketplace, those uh, some people out there will put agricultural ryegrasses in, uh, and they, and in the current circumstances, because costs have gone up, some people actually put annual ryegrasses in, which is basically fine for silage and all the rest of it, but is pretty much a catastrophe in your lawn. So you have to watch yeah. out for these things. Um, but modern ryegrasses, which is what we use in our mixtures, are very fine and very dense. So, for instance, at Wimbledon, uh, it's our genetic material. Uh, it's very fine. It's very dense. The same goes for places like Wembley. You're using very hard-wearing grasses, maybe not quite as fine and dense as somewhere like um, Wimbledon. So our breeders are looking to incorporate those characteristics 
into their grasses. So mm-hmm. a ryegrass for a football pitch will actually be quite different for a ryegrass from a, um, a tennis court or even even golf leaves and then uh, tees and even some greens, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of thing people look for. Um, if you're looking for shade tolerance, then you want fescues, drought as well. But that's why we use a mixture. Yeah, that's the grasses. But it's when you come to the preparation and uh, the maintenance, yeah. Yeah. that is a totally different thing, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. and obviously decides whether your grass is going to be what your yeah. grass is going to be in the end. Yes, yes, yeah. it, is, it does. I mean, you can't, like any kind of gardening, you can't get away with short-circuiting the, the, um, the preparation. Mm. You know, if grass seed, like any other seed, doesn't have contact with the soil, it's not going to do anything. It's bird food, basically. Yeah. Um, so you have to have good contact with the soil. Uh, we, we call it firming in, where you, you have a nice loose tilth, you broadcast your seed, and then you can, when I say roll it, I mean really light roll, not those cast iron things great-grandfather had. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, one of these plastic ones you put a bit of water or, or sand yes. in. Um, you can use a plank. I've got a, a square meter board, actually. Not it, but, you know, something that shape that you can walk on. Mm. Feet will do. But um, it really works firming in, which is one of the things that you need to do to make sure it comes out. But there, there's there's lots of other ways of doing it as well, fresh new all. Yeah. Right, well, and let's a, talk about sorry. let's talk about that mm. because uh, okay, so we've 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 decided what seed we're going to use now. Mm. I, you know, every year I will use, I will get a big box of the same seed from yep. a, a reputable manufacturer yep. uh, or supplier, and that way I'm not going to be just buying a box from from this garden center, a box from that garden center, and you end up with this uh, uh, kaleidoscope of different colored yeah. types of grasses. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good idea to try and be consistent. And one thing that uh, we try very hard to do is keep the contents and the mixtures of our lawn mixtures consistent. Mm. Um, Because if you don't, you could buy it from one year to the next. And it's completely different if we decide to change the species and this sort of thing. So we don't do we don't change things around. What you can't stop, though, if you like, is a bit of progress. So every now and again, like Hunter, you know, a grass will stop being grown. It's simply not available anymore but its replacement is usually better in some way or another, but it might be a slightly different green. Mm. And that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Is, is how you match it up. And, um, you know, I've had customers phone up saying, Oh, I used the last box in the middle of the lawn and it's a different color. Um, now that may or may not be true. It could be lots of reasons, but you should try and be consistent with the mixtures you use. Um, it's not guaranteed that you can keep the same color, but if you're going to do a patch, specifically a patch with a, a new box of grass seed this year. Don't do it like a dustbin lid with a defined edge. You know, scratch it up a bit and try and sort of mm. bleed the new grass into the old. And that way you'll get far less of a defined edge. But also over time, because that grass is receiving the same nutrition, sunshine, wear, blah, 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 and the rest of the lawn, it, unless it's wildly different, it actually tends to blend in. Yeah, fabulous. Now, um, Rod, would you like – I've always uh, – Rod said, what shall I feed me lawn with? Um, I mean, I think you mentioned to you earlier. Oh, grow uh, more, yes. As I'm talking to you, I'm looking out on my lawn, and uh, I, can't see the, I can't see the house anymore because the grass has grown <laughs> that thick and that quickly uh, since I put yeah. the grow more down. Well, well, yeah. well, I told him, you know, a little a, a nitrogen, phosphate, and potash, you're yeah. helping the, the, the leaves – the roots, etc., and the health of the uh, yeah. health of the plant. 
Exactly. Well, you, you, there's nothing wrong with grow more. I mean, we, we use it in one of our mixtures. It's absolutely fine. But there are better things around for an existing lawn. That's that's mm, the thing. Yeah. So as we sort of touched upon earlier, what you're trying to get with grass is you're trying to get low dense growth. Yeah. So if it's you're not looking for topical growth. So if you're growing wheat or barley, you want it to go boom and up there, up it, off it goes. That's just the opposite of what we're trying to do. So if you overfeed a lawn, what actually happens is that the predominant leaf on the on the grass plant will actually race away from the others and they'll just disappear so what you'll end up with is a very tall but thin lawn okay Mm. but if you get the nutrition right then that nutrition will be feeding all the leaves on that grass plant and all the leaves will come up and do their thing not necessarily tall but dense so overfeeding you get tall leggy lawn getting it right you get a low growing dense lawn um poultry manure Cheap and cheerful, there's branded stuff, unbranded, whatever. It's quite low in nitrogen, but part of its composition means that it tends to sit in the soil. It's not strictly slow-release soil, but it, it tends to have that effect. So it doesn't wash out too easily. It's not like a compound fertilizer like Gromor, which is basically in, out, gone, off, a bit like a yeah. shot of glucose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this stuff sort of tends to stay around a bit longer, and you'll find – um, without getting into brands and specifics, I know we don't want to do that. But if you look for the right kind of stuff, there are organic lawn feeds out there with uh, mycorrhizae in it or bacteria and all kinds of goodies. And it's a bit like a three-course meal. And it stays in the soil for a long time. And it gives the kind of growth that you want. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll chat you up for the brand uh, afterwards. <laughs> I mean, we're not the BBC, so feel free to. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I always be careful. I don't want to be sitting there ranting no, away no. about my own products all the time. Oh, well, I was going to say we, the, we do we do a German brand called Neudorf, which is a natural gardening product, and they've been around uh, since the 1850s. And they do a, a fertilizer called Clean Lawn. We were going to delist it years ago when we took over the, the distribution. And I've had this chorus of disapproval. Oh, okay, <laughs> I won't then. And um, they were absolutely right because people who use this stuff come back and buy it every year. And the point is that it doesn't make your lawn go off with a grow more bang. It gives you that low, healthy growth. Mm. And also, if you put it on bare soil, you've got mycorrhizae in it. You've got bacteria that um, tend to reduce the amount of thatch. And because it's denser, and this applies to other fertilizers, not just my own, because it's denser, it blocks out the weeds. You haven't got the gaps, yes. the weeds to get in. So yeah. you, you never get rid of them altogether, but you can reduce their instance by, mm. by having a properly fed lawn. Yeah. And does it come in a, in a spreadable form? So if you, I mean, I've got one of those, yeah. uh, you know, the, the rotating yeah. handle. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. All across yeah I think on, actually on the back of the bag, they, they have all these uh, fabulous settings. Okay, so so it can tell you which one. <laughs> There's always someone's got a spinner that, that we don't have or never heard of, but you know, it's, we get most of them right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you, you can get that. You can graduate it that way. One of the other things is um, scarifying and... Yeah mowing now i mean people go and buy a you know a 15 pound mower that you plug in and uh, there's the groundsman with his three or four thousand pounds auto 30s cylinders 12 12 blades you know and um the person with the 15 pound expects the uh exactly i think the americans call it the augusta effect don't they is it, why yeah, doesn't my lawn exactly. look like yes. that yeah, yeah exactly it's yes. probably because there's not eight people doing 500 yeah. square meters on each green you know there's a, yeah <laughs> um, 
It's a very good point, actually. With with good cultural practice, you can actually end up with a pretty good-looking lawn, not with anything, clearly, uh, but with most half-decent lawn mixtures. Yes. Um, but then again, most of us don't have, you know, the really expensive equipment. We don't have a lawn that's really level. Um, we might have a dog, a mole, a vole, a badger. God knows what else. This is like warfare in some lawns. Um, so, you, you know, you, you, it's almost impossible to emulate that. But also, people want to use it as a leisure place. Mm. The, the, the places that we're looking at on golf, for instance, are places of work. And there's only a few people who get leisure out of it. <laughs> so um, it's very different. But scarifying is a great thing to do. You can how often? Hire, how often? Oh, well, if you want to be purist about it, you probably ought to do it every season. But but I wouldn't do that myself because it's um, quite hard work. But you you should do it every season or every other season because what it does, it gets rid of all the dead grasses in, yes. in, the, in, the, in the bed. And what, what dead grass tends to do is it will stop water and nutrients penetrating. It forms mm. a layer. Okay. And if you get rid of that layer then water and nutrients can get in. You can actually aerate. That's another really good thing to do. And also what you must do afterwards, and this isn't just a seed salesperson saying this, if you don't put some grass seed down where you've aerated, uh, sorry, scarified and removed the old grass, weeds are going to come in. I mean, some of the grass, yeah, 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 yeah. you're creating a gap. Um, yep. And a lot of people forget to do that when they've got rid of their moss and their, and their thatch and all the bits and pieces. You must replace it with plants that you want. And if that's grass, great. If it's something else, fine. <laughs> so when you're overseeding, um, I've been tending to put uh, a layer of, of garden soil, not compost, but a layer of mm. garden soil uh, over just, just a very thin tithe across the top. And uh, what you're saying is you must firm it in. You know, you, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Always, always, always do that. Um, one of the first lessons I had was seeing, uh, I went to a fairway, which we'd supplied the grass to. This a long time ago when I was on the professional media side. And the, the weirdest thing was watching, looking down this fairway, and there was these two parallel lines of green grass going down it like this. And it was where the turf tires of some vehicle <laughs> compacted the rest of the seed into the soil. And that was the first thing that came through. And it looked like two green snakes disappearing, you know, anacondas in, you know, into yeah. the distance. <laughs> um, most most peculiar, but it works. So what you should be able to do is with over-sowing or even sowing on a new patch of ground is you've, you've broadcasted in into some kind of contact, some soil, shovel it around a bit with the rake. I shouldn't say shovel it around with the rake, should I? Agitate it with the rake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agitate it with the rake. Um, and then then firm it in, okay? Yeah. And you'll see that you'll, some of the grass seed on the top will never germinate. It's not going to. Of course. But the stuff in good contact just below or partially buried will, will go. And most grass seed, you don't want to put more than five millimeters down. Okay. Some species prefer to be on the top. In a grass mix, that's impossible. Okay. So don't worry about it. Mm. But, um, <laughs> but the ones we use mostly for lawns, four or five mil below the surface is bang on. There are a few grasses, some of the ones that we've been breeding, that will actually go up through nearly two centimeters of soil. But that's pretty rare, okay? Yeah. If you, put, if you put that much soil on top of grass seed, it's goodbye. It's not, you know, oh, get right. one or two come through. So if you think about that in nature, where a rabbit might have scratted away next to a grass plant that's just dropped its seeds, then most of those will only be just below the surface or partially. Mm. Um, and that's that's what we're trying to replicate. Um, uh, you, you mentioned there, and I very often t tell people scarifying and getting 
air in your soil yeah. is yeah. just as important as water in your so. soil. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. De yeah. Decom decompaction or, or compaction, if you like, is the enemy of the professional turf yeah. uh, manager. So where we're all walking back and forth on the golf green and the, or the golf tee even more so, you mm. slowly get rid of all those lovely gaps in the soil which are holding water and, and nutrition, and you've got to put them back. And so mm. you can use a garden fork. Um, you can rent aerators. One really way, good way of doing it, actually, on smaller areas, I confess, is getting a fork, not just sticking it in the ground, but lean back on it. Yeah. And it just crack, just cracks the yeah. soil a bit. Yeah. Mm. That's a fantastic way of doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you've got, you know, 500 square meter lawn, I might not do that. But, you know, something smaller, <laughs> I may do it over about five years, probably, <laughs> rolling program. But, you, you know, it's a really effective way of doing things. Okay, question. Now, this one yes. comes from Frank, and let me put it up on the screen for you. You can see this. Uh, can you patch so all year round, not including winter, of course? <laughs> right, great question. It depends where you're calling from for a start. If you're in Aberdeen, the answer is a big no. Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> Lincoln. <laughs> well, Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire. Callers from Lincolnshire. Right, okay. Yeah. Basically, you can sow grass seed usually between March and October. Now, if you go back two years when we had the beast in the east, you couldn't do a darn thing in March. Okay. No. Um, whereas a few years prior to that, we were in shirt sleeves. So there's a bit of there's an element of sensibility about this. Um, the best time to over sow is actually the autumn, which is contrary to where most of the grass seed is sold. We sell more in the spring than we do in the autumn. But the key thing is soil temperature. Okay. So if your soil is nice and warm, and it's only just warmed up now, actually, the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. then you'll get a really good result from uh, sowing the patch. So I would recommend patching in autumn or waiting till the ground has warmed up. There, there is actually a website that shows you the ground temperatures. Um, it's very exciting for people like me, but it's uh, a. Yeah, well, um, it is, yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, they've only just, you, you need ground temperatures really of 10 degrees plus. I, I think technically it's supposed to be nine, but double figures is what you need mm -hmm. to aim for. People very often say, oh, is it time, you know, they get to October, November? When do I stop mowing? Now, I always say, well, on a golf course, if, if people were putting and they stopped mowing through winter, that you know there'd be an uproar so um, yeah, yeah they would know, they would it's, yeah, well, so if you can give us a, a guide on that right again, again it depends a bit on temperature so what, yes. what you should what you should be doing as you sort of go through september and, and into early october let's assume the sort of average uh, kind of winter thing going on is that you should actually raise your cut slightly so as you go into autumn and you're thinking oh maybe this is the last cut or the last two or three, you should just notch up the, the, the lawnmower slightly so it doesn't take off so much grass, okay? Mm -hmm. That really helps the plant and stops it being quite so stressed. And then normally, once we get down to the sort of single figures, daytime, I mean, obviously nighttime could be minus that, the grass will pretty much stop. This year, I noticed the grass was growing quite early. I think I did my first cut quite early on and then nothing happened for ages. So it, it really is about... The, the actual air temperatures again going back to the beast from the east i don't think i mowed the lawn till mid-april practically mm. um, but again in cornwall and devon or even though the days are not much longer than anywhere else in the south of the uk the temperatures tend to be a bit bit more and the grass tends yeah. to just creep through a bit can i can i've, just, I've got to, i'm sorry i'm laughing but i've got two labradors just come into this room ah, and right. I, we, I think we're going to ask about 
The, oh yes, the, yes, the, the, yes, the, yes. Let's let's talk about um, yes. what you're He's developing. <laughs> I mean, there are two specific areas. There's one that's yeah. uh, drought because that's something yep. that's becoming unfortunately yes. very, very yep. uh, topical. And uh, and dog pee. Right. So I'll start. I'll start with dog pee, and then remind me to go into drought in case I get carried away. Um, I suppose it's fitting that we should go into drought after dog pee but anyway <laughs> dog pee is one of those things that is a bane of owner dog owners lives you know they are little patches all around the lawn and uh, i'm part of a sort of a marketing group pan-european marketing group where we try and look at common problems for lawn owners in europe which actually extends into america and other places in temperate zones anyway and there's been lots of conversations about dog pee um, and there's lots of products on the marketplace. And we're thinking, well, I, I don't know if that works. And we don't know if this works. We look at it and who knows. So we decided once for all to trial what dog pee on different grasses and see what happens. <laughs> so I know I've written this down somewhere. Here we go. Yeah. Numbers. 672 tests. We tried 169 varieties of grass. Okay. And across seven different species. So this is actually a serious trial. So yes. we plant, we planted uh, a huge strip okay so you have to sow it by the square meter and then you have replicant plots um you have to wait till the grass is mature and then we we made our own dog pee uh, we didn't go around squeezing your labradors there so we have a pack of dogs <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so herding them like huskies across there yeah pee, pee we used to say not mush but anyway no what we did was we made up analyzed the concentration or content of dog pee and then we made it ourselves but the point, what, point is that a dog pee in the morning is far more concentrated than a dog pee in the, in the evening. So we did four different concentrations. So the first dog pee in the morning is tends to be the one that does the real damage. Uh, and then by the time it gets to the end of the day, when it's had lots to drink and eat or whatever, it's fairly dilute. What we found was that uh, fescues basically were a catastrophe. Uh, they just it just got annihilated. So they, they mm. were killed and they never came back. The only grasses that really started to resist it were one or two types of i'm going to get technical here okay diploid perennial ryegrasses yeah okay but the ones that absolutely could take it on the chin they might have wobbled a bit go slightly off color but then grew back are something called tetraploid grasses now the thing about this stuff is that you get a huge burst of, of nutrition from dog pee okay um and very few grasses can tolerate that this stuff does tolerate it and it tolerates the alkalinity of it too Basically, we scan the whole thing and you can walk mm. along and it looks like sort of there's minor nuclear explosions going on in these various places. Then all of a sudden you get to plots that are actually green and where the dogs peed, sometimes it goes slightly darker green because of the nutrition. And you can see where it's all grown back. So what we found is that we now know that these tetraploid amusiorite grasses, which are, have got a lot of other benefits, can resist dog pee. That is what we use in uh, the Johnson's Tough Grass because we now know which grasses resist it. The, the only caveat is you have to make sure that, that the grass is well established before you let the dog pee on it. One or two people have put it on the ground, first few green shoots come up, let the dog out. Of course, the last thing kills it straight off because it's yeah. baby grass, basically. Mm. Um, so you've got to let it mature. Uh, but it, when, once established, it works. And we, 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 we've right. got the evidence. It's great. So, so what's it, your brand, what is it called? Tough grass? Uh, Johnson's Tough Grass, yes. But this was the point about research and development. You know, as I said, about 11% of our colleagues are in R&D out of 2,000 people. So there's more than 200 people doing R&D for, for our business. We spend millions. And 
it's cost a lot of money to do that. We'd probably never recoup it if it was just in the UK market, if I'm honest. But this this is something we can put across the whole temperate zone of the planet. We now know which grasses do it. No one else has done that. Okay, now let's. I'm conscious of time and your time yes. as well, Dre. Um, right. Drought, uh, because this is right. becoming a real issue now. Yeah. So um, what we've done in Denmark is we've set up uh, some very large trials in combination with other people. So if you can imagine a great big V-shaped trough, okay, and I mean colossal, I can't remember how many meters long it is, with a with a clear roof over it, so no rain can get in, but the daylight can get in. And then down the bottom of this trough, the V-shape, we have water pipes, okay? And then also in the trough throughout, we've got cameras. So if you can imagine, then you sow seed across the top of the trough, okay? The seed at the very edges can reach water really easily because it's literally just below the surface. Whereas in the middle of the trough, which is, I think, three meters deep, the roots have got to go a hell of a long way down to actually get to the water. Mm-hmm. So we are now finding grasses, which we, we never knew could put roots down three meters. Okay. Who knew? We, we had no idea. Okay. Incredible. And we, could, we can watch these things grow. So we've got pretty standard amenity ryegrasses <clears throat> in places where um, the roots are reaching down two, two and a half to three meters. Now, once we, once we know that, we can then incorporate that into the breeding program, not for the characteristic on the top, but for the characteristics underneath. And so, yeah, so we're now doing this with various grasses, both for amenity and nice bird and for agriculture. Okay. Um, But also we've got vegetable growers and all kinds of characters doing the same thing, but it's, 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 it's the roots that hunt out. And so three meter roots on grass. I mean, you've got mm. a little plant like that. You're expecting the root to go to there. Well, no, <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. it's drilling for oil. I mean, it really is. Wow. So it's, so that, it's fascinating. Yeah, but I, I remember you probably weren't born. But I remember 1976. I do and remember. And it didn't rain from, was it yeah. July till uh, September? And the gra- every, Britain went brown. Yeah. And the amazing thing is, after it rained, I think Hidi Amin was in Uganda at that time. Yeah, but when it rained in September, suddenly the day after, the, the, the grass is there. Was that seed or is can grass shut yeah. down yeah. And, and come back again? Yes, it can. So in very, very right. quickly for you. So right, thank you. Uh, perennial ryegrass and fescue. Perennial ryegrass is less tolerant to drought than fescue. Okay. Broad, mm-hmm. um, uh, broad brush here. Again, too yeah. tacky. Um, so what will happen is if you've got a, a square of ryegrass and a square of fescue, give it some drought, okay? The fescue will start going a bit of a weird colour and then go brown while the ryegrass is still hanging on. And you're thinking, well, that, that bloke was telling big fibs, okay? Yeah. And then what will happen is when the ryegrass has gone brown, it's dead, okay? Yeah, it's right, gone, yeah. it's curtains. Whereas all that's happened with the fescue is that it's fizzled on the top. And as soon as it rains, off it goes. Uh, yeah. Um, this, there are two types of drought, okay? One is spring drought and one is summer drought. Um, you can guess when each one happens. That's, that's self-explanatory. But, but spring drought is what, well, we haven't got it now. I've just had a rainstorm. But that's where just the top layer is dry. Yeah. So mm. deeper rooting species can actually tolerate that. Summer drought is when uh, you've got such depth of dry soil that most grasses are unable to get their roots deep enough. Mm. But one or two grasses, as a species characteristic, can basically go into sort of not hibernation mode, but they just they just stop. <laughs> they, they don't do anything. Um, so we're looking at grasses that do can tolerate spring drought and the summer drought too, both in immunity and agriculture. And that's not just always to do with root depth. It's also to do with the, the species characteristic and the 
leaves and all, all kinds of stuff. Oh, wow, fascinating. absolutely fascinating, Guy. Somebody uh, has just uh, put this up on the screen. Oh. I think this might be Frank. Yes, it is. Oh. No, no, it's Edna. Edna Butler. Hello, Edna. Uh, I've used oh. tough grass on my last on lawns last year after it was decimated by the dreaded beetle. I also have uh, two dogs, ah. and I'm well impressed with the results. Hey, there you go. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I've tried thank several you. of the advertised products, but I would recommend tough grass. Over oh, thank you very much. Well, oh. I, I, I'm delighted to hear that because we we worked very hard to get that right, you know. <laughs> so, 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 and, and actually, like I mean, a testimonial. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. Yeah. So I will pass that back to the people who did all the trials as well. It's lovely to hear that. Thank Let's you. just. Just a recap uh, on yeah. the, the key points. So make sure that you scarify your lawn. And you said every season. Do you mean spring, summer, autumn, winter? Oh, no, once a year. Once okay, a year. Once Sorry, a year. I, I, meant, I, meant, I meant, yeah, growing season, yeah. if you like. Okay. Sorry, that's my uh, this grass piece. I, just, but, um, I thought I'd check that, yeah. Um, <laughs> you make sure that uh, when you've scarified, you, uh, you overseed. Um, uh, aerate as well. Uh, overseeding make sure you firm the seed in because yes. uh, that's something i haven't done i've just put it put it in onto yep. loose compost uh, not D- compost to the soil soil soil's better yeah. than compost you're right yep. yeah, yeah, yeah always use soil yeah. but make sure you firm it in uh that's yes. important okay yep. and if you're going to over sow don't don't put fertilizer on first because the existing grasses will outcompete the ones that are trying to come through right yeah so 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 to, if you do that you'll think whoa what's going on here and of course you know, Mr. Graymore over there, and it's all coming up. So. <laughs> oh, I, I don't <laughs> use it that man. No, no, no I don't. I don't. But, but, yeah, but it's, yeah. if you're going to do that, don't don't feed it. Cut the grass short. Do all the stuff we just talked about. You can feed it when the other stuffs are established, but be careful you don't kill it, obviously. But yeah, so that that's another little tip if you like. Guy, thank you very much indeed. You're it's been, welcome. Uh, as interesting as I knew it would be. So uh, really appreciate your time. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for asking me on. Guy Jenkins. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Good luck with the bowling green effect. That's it for this week. Next week, John and I will be discussing fruit trees, among other things. Thanks to our sponsors, Fitzgerald Lane Decorators. And for a free quote and advice on any project, go to their Facebook group, Fitzgerald Lane Decorators. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and tell your gardening friends about us. Check out our Loving Your Garden Facebook group and be inspired by our friendly and knowledgeable members. Until next time. Music.